0: Everything has been building to this moment from the Garden of Eden to even the table. The birth of Christ is, to say it is significant, is the understatement of the entire universe. Uh, So the sermon title is called, Who Was That Baby in the Manger? I originally entitled it a few other things, but originally this one was called, Who is That Baby in the Manger? And because we see the little images of Christ uh, in these little manger scenes, and it's like, well, wait a second, that's not Jesus actually there, and um, so I got to tell you this, just because when I said that, this came to mind, and I have to say everything that comes to my mind, apparently, at my grandfather's funeral. Um, And that I speak of my grandfather and my grandmother as being pivotal to my faith, praying for me and doing different things. Um, He's the one that said um, he would worry a lot. And then my grandmother would say, Pete, you know, it's a sin to worry so much. And he'd say, I know, I worry about that too. And so he died and he was at, um, my grandmother had dementia Alzheimer's or something. And so my mom was preparing her to go in and see him at the funeral. And she said, now, Mom, that's not Pete. Now, when you go in, that's not, it's not him. That's just his body. That's not Pete. And so my grandma went in, and she went and She looked at him. And she said, hmm, well, if that's not Pete. I don't know who it is then. And she walked off. I like, all right, thank you for giving me a good memory of, of the funeral. So, you know, you see the baby in the manger. You're like, well, that's not Jesus. I don't know who it is then. It's like, okay, it's Jesus in the manger. That, that's, who we're, that's who we're talking about in the manger, but that's not Jesus. And he's not still in the manger. Jesus is not in the manger, okay? So I didn't want to call it, who is that baby? Who was that baby? Now, also, when we're thinking about this, I want you to think, well, he's gone now. I mean, he's no longer a baby in the manger, he is now exalted to the right hand of God the Father, forever united to humanity. So don't fall for the heresy. I mean, you might not have thought about it, but you know, Jesus, Father, God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Same in substance, equal in power and glory. Three persons, not three people. It's a reason for that distinction. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. These three are one God. God's a spirit. Infinite and eternal and changeable as being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Shorter catechism. So as you learn these things... The Trinity is something that's like there, there is no, uh, there, there's no real comparable analogy or example in this world of a Trinitarian thing. So at, at, at in the same way that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is Trinitarian. So we all come up with these different types of analogies to talk about the Trinity and, and it's fine to do, I guess, That's just, it's, it's trying to help children you know, wrap their heads around how can there be three in one. But every time you come up with an example, then that, that is a heresy. <laughs> and that's the fun thing about it. Yeah, it's like, I'm a father, I'm a son, and I'm also, uh, what's the other thing I am? I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm, a, I'm an uncle, I'm a brother, I'm a grandson, I'm all these things all at once. Well, that's the heresy of modalism. I, I, I am just one person, so for, I, am, I am a father and a son, but I don't change. So Jesus is not the father. The father is not the son. The Holy Spirit is not the son. The Holy Spirit is not the father. So that's a, a, a heresy called modalism. You can talk about an egg. Eggs have three parts. It has the shell, the yolk, and the albumen, that, that, that that white part, the clear part. That's three. That is the heresy of, oh, I can't remember the name of the heresy, but it is that God exists in parts. You all know that one? What, what's it called? Partialism. That's the heresy of partialism. It, know your heresies and um, <laughs> the heresy of partialism so that we talk about God is simple. And then we're like, well, no, I don't think we should ever say that. What we mean by simple is that he does, he's not in parts. He's just spirit. That's, that's all there is to him. He's not part this and part that. He's not constituent elements that come together to make up God. He's spirit. And so if we're talking about an egg, it's, there's three things that make up this one thing, and that's wrong to think of God in this way. But we see in the Word, Old Testament and New Testament, that Yahweh is one. And that's called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. So you have to maintain that there's only one God. But God is Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in a perfect relationship with himself for our eternity. So don't go thinking so highly of yourself to also hear the heresy that teaches that the reason God created people was because he was lonely. Poor thing, poor God floating around in space somewhere out there, lonely. I need, to, I need to create people to love me. It's like, I remember thinking that when I was younger. I some people probably still teach that. God, was, God needs nothing. So, you know, you're not helping God out in any way. God was in a perfect relationship with himself for all eternity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity. And so why did he create us? And the question could be asked like this. What is the primary purpose for which we were created? Or I could word it this way, what is the chief end of man? And that's simple. The chief end of man is to, yeah, it's like making sure we have a Presbyterian audience out here to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We're here for his glory. We're here for for his joy. We're here because it's all about him. That's why we worship him. Who does God worship then? So, you know, God's not up there like worshiping us. Don't fall into that. If he's worshiping at all, he must worship himself because we must all worship the highest being. If he worshiped anybody else or he loved anybody else more than himself, that'd be idolatrous. That'd be terrible. It's it's hard to wrap your head around it because any of us thinking like that about ourselves, one, we're wrong. Two, you're worshiping yourself and you can't do that. You're just a creature. He's not just a creature. He's God. He's not going to give his glory to any other. And so when we see Jesus having the glory of God and being glorifying God and God glorifying him, it's the fact that Jesus Christ is God. Now, Sean read this morning from Luke chapter two, the birth story, the narratives. And we've we've heard all these things. We're familiar with the birth story, although I don't think that the United States, don't think that the children of North Carolina know this story well. I have heard several pastors, at least I know one, but I think there's more, that went to a public school, and it could very well have been a private school. He just happened to go to a school, and he was reading to them um, the story of Jesus and talking about why did Christ come, and he, talked, he said something about the garden in Adam and Eve. So a couple of the kids were like, who's Adam and Eve? Never heard of Adam and Eve. In the state of North Carolina, there are children. I mean, maybe they did. Maybe they are lying and pulling this chain. But I don't doubt it. That there are children who don't know who Adam and Eve are, were, is. They don't know. They don't know the gospel. We are, we are not living in a pre-Christian era like when Christianity first came in. Like they've never heard of it. We consider ourselves to be living in a a post-Christian America. A post-Christian world where they've heard the gospel, but they've rejected it, and now here we are. But I, I think... We live in both worlds. We live in a post and a pre-Christian era because a lot of people, while they have been raised in a culture and in a government and in our, our country is so saturated with the things of the Bible that you would think it'd be hard to escape, but they don't know where these things come from. A lot of people do not know anything really about the gospel. So don't assume Everybody does, even people who may be going to some church. They might hear some information about the gospel, but in some churches, they're not getting the reality of what the, who Christ is, who the Holy Spirit is, who the Father is, and what the gospel is, and that the word of God is the word of God. They're not all getting it. So when you're talking to people, maybe in your circle there's people you know that know these things but there's a lot of people who don't know this at all and if they do it's just like like we know, you know, 11th century history. I could not tell you what happened in the 11th century just something something occurred and maybe I may not know about it. But all of these things are significant. That we're talking about the birth story of Christ. And it can be called the nativity, which is a Latin word that means birth. So we have these nativity scenes. It's the birth scene. This is the, the, the sign of the fact that, um, you know, we see all the things. And we even put the wise man, the magi, in there too, because it's all a part of this birth story before he flees to Egypt. We have the announcement of the angel to, to Mary and to Joseph. We have the trial I mean, the, the travel to, to Bethlehem that they go to, and there's no room at the inn, and we know what what's happening there. We have um, Jesus' birth in a manger, an animal's feeding trough. We have the angels announcing his birth to the, the shepherds, the wise man seeing his star and traveling to Jerusalem to find the newborn king of the Jews, King Herod's Uh, wickedness and the slaughter of the innocents and the family's flight to Egypt until Herod's death. And every one of these details are significant and important and remarkable and worth great exploration. And the baby Jesus was indeed born to be king, but not just any king. He was born to be king of kings and lord of lords. And this part of the Gospels is significant. But we can't miss the most important aspect of the birth story. It's not just that a baby was born. There's some commercial now, I can't tell you what it's for, probably something bad. Um, you don't just want a car, you want the car. Have y'all seen that? And you know, you don't just want a, you know, a house, you want the house. It's like, and they say, a the is always better than a. But my first thought was, well, I don't care if I get the million dollars, I'm happy with just a million dollars. So, but... The baby in the manger is not just a baby who was going to live a perfect life, die for our sins, and become king. He is the baby. He is the God in the manger. He is God in the manger. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, a very famous preacher from the past, um, who had her way with words as well? Very quotable. He said that Jesus is in Jesus, the, in, the infinite has become the infant. So that's a, a neat little way to say it. The infinite has become the, the infant. And yet, God the Son does not change because God can't change. So when we have Jesus Christ, and then what we're talking about is this word, the incarnation. So that's what we're looking at at the birth of Christ. At Christmas, we need to recognize and let people know this is the important fact. When we say, who is Jesus? Was he, yes, the baby born in the manger. But this is the incarnation of God the Son. It comes from the word um, carnal, which is where you get carnivores, like certain dinosaurs are carnivorous. That means they eat flesh, they eat meat. And so that word um, incarnation means he came in the flesh. And in Greek, it's even the word sarks, which is the part of us that can die, the part of us that's corruptible, the part of us that can change. And so God took on this as his dwelling so that he might become man and God for our salvation. And we have to remember that the mission of Jesus from the beginning was to fulfill the law perfectly for his people and then to die in our place for us, for those united to him by faith. why why did this happen why are we opening gifts on christmas morning because of this the gift that was given to us in christ jesus and so what makes you more happy on christmas morning does it make you more happy to open your christmas presents now i asked christian that the other day and he wouldn't even let me get to the next part of the question he said yes yes (laughs) Right. So does it make you more happy to to open presents on Christmas morning or does it make you more happy to see people that you love opening gifts that you have given to them? And it depends on how old you are and it depends on your maturity level. And it's about compassion and it's about love and it's about caring because um, love seeks its happiness in the beloved. Love seeks its happiness um, in the other. John Piper has a story that he tells that exemplifies it, and what he says is, it's like a man that has considers himself to be a good Christian husband, and it's his anniversary. So he says, "I need to get flowers for my wife because that's my duty as a good Christian husband. If I don't get a gift for my wife, I'm not a good husband." So he goes home, he knocks on the door, she opens the door. He said, "Today is our anniversary. I'm a good Christian husband." I do my duty, here are your flowers. And she says, <sharp inhale> close the door. Yeah, it's like, what is that? I, I did my duty, But he says, but instead, the good Christian husband, he remembers it's his anniversary, he sees flowers. <gasps> I gotta get them. So he gets the flowers, he runs home, he knocks on the door, she opens the door, he says, dear, today is our anniversary. I saw these flowers and I couldn't help but get them. Nothing was going to make me happier than to give you these flowers. And she looks at him and she says, oh, this is all about you, isn't it? And slams the door in his face. She said, no, she wouldn't do that. It's like to see that somebody wants to see your happiness is just going to make me happy to do this for you. So if you think about it, you can not say, well, that does kind of make it all about you, doesn't it? You know, why would you give your kids presents? Because you want to see them happy. Well, really? So it's all about you. It's like, no, oh, no, no. Love is like that. Love gives. Love rejoices in seeing the ones they love rejoicing. Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Jesus is God, Jesus is Yahweh. I remember reading that in Dr. Kara's notes, and I looked at that and I was like, hmm, now wait a second. Now you might be taking that too far. Jesus says, Yahweh got to follow Yahweh. Is Jesus Yahweh? I was remember seeing that. He had big capital letters too. I was like, oh, no, no, no. It's like, baby, he's God. <laughs> he's Yahweh, the Lord, Jehovah, who exists in three persons, and they are all one. Jesus is even able to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, you just said the Son is not the Father. But what he says is, we're, we are one. There's not going to be something like, I kind of like, like, you know, I like certain things, but my children might like things a little bit differently. You're not going to see that between the Father and the Son of the Trinity. They're exactly the same in their wants and their likes and their everything. It's just the, this is who they are. This is who he is. So if it brings joy to Christ to the point, the joy that he was going to caused him to endure the shame and the suffering of the cross. Then it is God's joy and delight. To get whatever the purpose was for which he came. And the purpose for which he came was your salvation, your reclamation. Saving you from an eternity in hell. And when I say you, I'm looking at a church full of believers. And this is the proclamation to the world. Christ has died as a sacrifice for sin. Repent and believe. Call upon his name and you shall be saved. He will never cast out anyone who comes to him. Come to him. Christ Jesus, our Savior, our Lord. No longer a baby in a manger, but God himself. So just real briefly, let's look at um, John chapter one to know who is Christ. The gospel of John chapter one, verse um, three is where we'll begin. I have no idea why I wrote three, so we're going to start in one. Obviously, John 1, 1, very beginning. If you're reading this in Greek, if you have your Greek Bibles out, you'll see it says N-R-K, and then you'll, if you have, also have your Septuagint and you were to turn to Genesis 1-1, you'd also see the words "in N-R-K. And the word there is genesis, genesis, which is the word in Greek. So what John is doing, he's saying in the beginning, remember how the Bible starts, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. John says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he's saying, in the beginning, God. He was in the beginning with God. Now he's telling us, John's telling us, we're talking about Jesus. God the Son, who he's going to become incarnate. He doesn't become the Son at his birth. He is the Son from all eternity. This is their Trinitarian relationship. What happens at the birth of Christ is his incarnation. He becomes man. He takes on flesh. Verse two, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him without anything was not anything made that was made in him was life. And the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And then we go to verse 14 and the word became sarks in Greek flesh. It became the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This is the apostle John talking about this. And we can say, have we seen his glory? Well, certainly not in its fullness. They saw the transfiguration, too. They see that the glory of Christ, even as he's being transfigured and he's being glorified. But Jesus is God. There's 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 no doubt about it. There's doubts about it, but that's a heresy. And so if there are places in which the Bible is very clear that Jesus, the the claim of Scripture is that Jesus is God. Jesus was crucified for claiming that, for blasphemy. So as C.S. Lewis has pointed out, you can't say that Jesus was a good teacher and not believe he was God because he claimed to be God. And good teachers don't do that, unless they're God, and indeed He was. And then we turn to Philippians chapter two. So it's in the Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, G E P C, these letters of Paul. Philippians chapter two, beginning in verse five, to see who this Christ is. Paul is writing so so he says, have this mind among yourselves. So he's like, see this as an example for how we're supposed to be, but listen to who Christ is. <clears throat> have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. And became obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven. And on earth. And under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I believe we can even translate that to say. Jesus Christ is Yahweh. To the glory of of God the Father. God the Father said, I will not give my glory to another. And he doesn't, because Christ is God. And God is all about us glorifying Him. And the last place I want to turn is Hebrews. Hebrews chapter one, just the first three verses. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So the final revelation of God is Jesus Christ himself. That is who we proclaim. That is who we preach. That is who our savior is. That is who who we celebrate in baptism through the Holy Spirit. That's who we have communion with in, the, in, the, in communion through the Holy Spirit today, this very Spirit of Christ. And this is the final word of God. This is why we don't need prophetic revelation. We don't need extra God coming, telling me something apart from the word to tell you that the Bible doesn't say, but rather he spoke by his Son, Jesus Christ, the, Scriptures are all about Christ. And so if there's something for us to hear from the Lord, the Holy Spirit applies it to us in the Word of God, through the Word of God, and the self-revelation of God. He has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So remember, Jesus is creator. Father creates the Holy Spirit trinitarian creation but romans eleven thirty six 36 talk says this of jesus for him and through him and to him there's a little song that says that for him and through him and to him are everything to god alone be the glory glory alone the glory alone not to us not to us but to our god be the glory for through him for him and through him and to him are all things this is jesus christ everything is for christ everything was created through him And everything is to him. When we get to Romans 11, we'll talk much more about that. In verse 3, he's the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature. You don't know what God the Father is like? Don't think he's different than Jesus. And look what Jesus does. Look how Jesus is. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is Jesus Christ. After making purification for sins, he sacrificed himself for sins. This is the big point. The blood of Christ cleanses us. From all unrighteousness. But you must be united to him by faith. Calling upon his name. Believing in him. And trusting in him alone for our salvation. He sat down at the right hand. Of the majesty on high. So the baby that was in the manger is now. At the right hand of God. The throne of God the father. God's throne. At the center of everything. Having become as much superior to angels. As the name he has inherited. Is more excellent than theirs. This is who we worship. He's not in the manger. He's not on the cross. He's exalted into heavens at the right hand of God the Father praying prayers for us. And when we don't know how to pray as we ought, the spirit of Christ is within us praying with groanings too deep for words. If you've got God praying for you, you got a lot. you got that going for you. Don't forget that. And there's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, you sent your son. And we celebrate that in a, in a special way on Christmas Day at Christmas time, and, and, and thank you for allowing us to, to do that in a, in a world still. Where there's lights. Even if the world sees these things and they don't know what it means or they hate what it means or whatever. Lord, they can't do anything about the stars in heaven. They declare your glory. They can't do anything about the changing of the leaves, the changing of the seasons, the green grass, the, 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 the birth of a child, the way we're back. Thank you. Good timing there. That you have created all things. So, Lord, we thank you for this Christmas morning. We thank you for the beauty. We thank you even for the hard things that are in our lives for they are meant to perfect our faith, too. And that we know that it is for the joy that was set before you that you came into this world, even enduring the cross. And that what we go through now, the good and perfect things are from you. So we thank you for those things, especially this morning. And we pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.